0: Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. What would the first church do? What would the first church do? You know, we get so frustrated about so many things and the easy solution to that is just ask yourself what would peter do he probably wouldn't do nothing because he didn't have this nice stuff Hmm. what would paul do he'd probably say thank you jesus for inspiring someone to invent air conditioning (laughs) i mean we take this stuff for granted but the first church they didn't have none of this and they still did more than we do Anyway, now now we're meddling. We ain't going to go there. <laughs> we ain't going to go there yet. We might get there. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you guys something. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 22. And yes, we're still doing a series on signs of a healthy church. This is just like a little detour. It's like a little detour. And here's how I'm going to work it in. Here's how I'm gonna work it in. You guys ever watch the the renovation, the home renovation shows? I love those shows. I, I just absolutely love them. They're amazing. But here here's the thing. There is always, no matter which show you watch, it doesn't matter if it's Fixer Up or Fixer Flip or you know the what are the two brothers that do it? The I, I don't remember Property Bros or something like that. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't matter, you know, hometown, Reno, it doesn't matter which one. About 10 to 12 minutes into the show, the same thing happens. What is it? There's an issue. There's some kind of conflict. There's some kind of drama. The pipe's leaking and it's done damage to to the foundation. Or, you know, the owner of the property comes and says, you know, I know that our budget's always maxed out, but I always pictured having a walk-in closet. Can we figure out how to make this happen? Like something always factors in to that. And then I remember watching like Fixer Upper Chip and Joanna Gaines would like play rock, paper, scissors over who had to make the phone call and say, Hey, we're ten thousand over dollars over budget now And it always fell on Chip to make the phone call. I'm just kidding, Joanna almost always made it. <laughs> because men like to give women the hard work, you know. <laughs> just come on, we do. If it's muscles or fixing a car or building a shed or something, we're on that. But it's really just so that we can go play with our tools. I mean, anything else that's difficult, we're like, come on. You know you love me, right? (laughs) All right, I'm going to stop meddling in your affairs. Here's the the conflict, all right? We're pretty much approaching the end of our Signs of a Healthy Church series. We've got a few things left that we're going to go through. But here's the drama. You always got to deal with the opposition. I mean, if you're building a house, you got termites. You know, you got hurricanes. I've experienced both of those. Had to have my house bonded for termites because there was termite damage, and then had a hurricane rip my roof off. So you you always got to deal with these things. Like there's opposition toward establishing and keeping a healthy home. And I've got a warning for us, church, this morning. And I know with every fiber of my being that Satan, the kingdom of darkness, demons, principalities, I really think it's specifically the principality that's over Cleveland, does not want me to preach this message. And I don't say that. I'm not a salesman. I don't stand up here and say, the devil doesn't want me to preach this message. I have, don't know if I've ever said that in my entire life. Have I ever said it? No, she said no. Thank God. Because <laughs> I would have been really bad if I said I've ever said it. She's like, yeah, you said it last week. No. <laughs> but I have a warning for us, church. And I, I can tell you that I don't think that Satan has wanted me to preach this because he has attacked me and my family all week long. All week long. He even was attacking me last night and this morning and attacked faith this morning, both mentally, spiritually, in our bodies, Our family, just one attack after another all week long. So I believe that it's opposition to what I'm going to preach and what I'm going to share with you guys. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer because I know how harsh I can be sometimes and how offensive I can be. So here's my disclaimer. I am not thinking of anyone in particular. I'm not thinking of any particular situation. No one has come to me and said anything. This is not preemptive about anything. This is just me saying, I felt in my spirit this warning for our church. And I will, I will preface that by saying that over the past week and a half, I have had not one, not two, but three prophetic dreams about the church and about what God's about to do. And then I got a warning. About what God's about to do that's good. And then I got a warning. So I get, it says God confirms it by two or more. And even to Joseph, he says, you've had this twice. That means it's going to shortly come to pass. So three means it's like really about to come to pass. And then I've had other people walk up to me about dreams they've had and visions that they've had and words they've received. For what God's about to do in this house. And I firmly believe that. But then I get the warning. Because... Satan's not an idiot. He's been doing this a long time. And when I say Satan, I'm really talking about the whole kingdom of darkness. Listen, Satan is not on equal footing with God. He is not God's opposite. He is a creature just like everybody else. He ain't special. He's limited in power. He's limited in location. He's not omnipresent. Listen, everybody's like, I got attacked by Satan. It's like, no, you probably got attacked by some little mini demon that's like barely on the payroll but <laughs> it's a part of the kingdom of Satan. So I get where you're going with that. Satan probably ain't wasting his time on... Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it like that. I shouldn't have said it like that. <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> Listen, if you ain't really doing anything for the kingdom and you get attacked, it probably ain't Satan. Listen, when Martin Luther is leading the Protestant Reformation and he said he's dealing with Satan, I can believe that martin luther standing on his own reestablishing the gospel is probably going head to head with satan but you over here that got a flat tire on your way to church probably ain't dealing with satan you're either dealing with life or circumstance or you're dealing with a mini demon that just barely got a paycheck this week okay <laughs> i mean come on let's let's get real let's toughen up a little bit so I always say to my kids, "Toughen up, Buttercup." Okay, you're gonna you're gonna have to get some some sweat on your brow, put some dirt on it. You'll be all right. That's what we need to do. Put some word on it. You'll be all right. Anyway, anyway, let's let's move on before I get myself in more trouble. The warning is this: Satan's coming for this church. And when I say Satan, maybe it's Satan. Maybe it's just the principality over this area. I call him Mister So Icky. That's because the greek word for religion is stoekion. we talked about that last week faith when i shared it with her she's like oh that sounds really close to so icky so i call him mr so icky it's the spirit of religiosity if you don't believe me that that's the spirit of uh, principality over cleveland just take a drive down the street any street i don't care pick one and tell me that the spirit of religiosity is not the spirit of the principality operating in cleveland because it absolutely is and he's coming for this church he's coming for this church he can't have it that's right amen we're going we're going we're gonna preach a little bit we're gonna preach a little bit we're gonna preach a little bit verse twenty two then a demon oppressed man is it okay if I preach about demons this morning Is it okay if I preach about demons? Because this is like one of those areas, fringe areas of Christianity that people don't like to talk about. Because some people, when they start talking about demons, they get flat out weird and get into some new age stuff. And they don't even remember what Christianity is because they get so far off into it. But demons are real. And they're biblical. And there's something that we need to know. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in there. Spiritual warfare is a reality whether you want it to be or not. Like We like to pretend that this materialistic realm is all that there is and we can go about our lives and as we don't mess with demons, they don't mess with us. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And if that's the way you think, then the demons already got you going. They already got you binding into a narrative that doesn't exist. So let's talk about demons. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him, this being Jesus, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit... Has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. See, our Bibles like to break these things down and put them in sections. They like to put little headings over it, like this is part of this section, this part of this section. But all of that is one section. All of that is the same conversation. And it starts off with this. Jesus is chilling. Can I say Jesus was chilling? Jesus was chilling, and they bring him a demon-oppressed man. The word there, demon-oppressed, and some of your translations say demon-possessed, but the word there is demonized. See, there is this category of demonic activity, demonized. Demons be demonizing people. That's the way they that's the way they roll. But in that category, there's three levels. These are my levels, just from what I find biblically. You can disagree with them if you want. I tell everybody, you reserve the right to be wrong. <laughs> you reserve that right. But no, seriously, we are a spirit. We have a soul, and we live in a body. I know that some people say, no, you're you're just just two-part being. No, that's trash. You were made as God's temple. How is God's temple? There's an outer court, there's an inner court, and there's a holy of holies, right? Body, soul, spirit. And demonic activity hits you in one of three levels. If you've got three levels, they're going to hit you in one of three levels. They can't hit you in a fourth level that doesn't exist, so they're going to hit you in your body. I call this demonic infiltration. This is when the demons are outside trying to get in. This is the whispers. This is you driving down the road and you see an image of a pornographic situation pop up in your head for no reason. One time, this is completely unrelated but kind of related. One time I was driving down the highway and there was a donkey in the pasture over here. And for no reason whatsoever, I literally had a mental image of driving my car off the road and taking this donkey out. (laughs) I was like, what in the mess? Why? Why did that come there? I don't know. Maybe I just got a twisted sense of humor. But I was like, there was nothing in me. I just look over and see the donkey and have the image play out. And you guys know, maybe not that situation, but I was talking to a preacher friend of mine. And he said, one time I was in the third row at church, and I was sitting there. And there was this little old lady, two rows in front of me. And he said, I looked at her and I had a mental image playing out of walking up and punching her in the nose. And I'm like, dear Lord, what's wrong with you? But that's the way, that's funny. But that's the way that demonic infiltration works. Is they try to get you to buy into this narrative. Or this lie. Or this story. They try to get you to believe a report that doesn't exist. And if they can get you to believe that, then they get in. Unfortunately, many of us believe them. But they will. They whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not called. God don't love you. You're not even saved. You're sick. You're broken. You're a has-been. You're a never-was. I mean, come on. You guys, these voices, they just whisper in your ear. That's demonic infiltration. They're trying to get in. The third level, I'm going to skip the second one and come back to it. The third level, which is in the spirit realm, is what we would classify as like full-on demonic possession. Now understand this. Demonic possession in your spirit cannot happen to a Christian. It cannot happen to a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit will not share his dwelling place with a demon. But the bad news is, the bad news is, is there is such a thing as apostasy. There is such a thing as you walking away from the faith. And we'll get to that in a minute. But that's demonic possession when the demon gets in your spirit. Now, demonic possession doesn't always look like Emily Rose crawling on the ceiling. Exorcism of Emily Rose. I just thought. Anyway. Never mind. Never mind. Woo! Her. These holy people ain't never seen that. Anyway. It don't always look like Hollywood portrays it to. It can because the man from Gadarenes was naked in the tombs cutting himself. That wasn't a pretty sight. But it doesn't always have to look like that. Demonic possession means that a demon has possession. It means he has you in your grips. And let me just tell you something. Satan is identified as someone that schemes. He is identified as being subtle. He's identified in the King James language as being wily. If everybody that had a demon was crawling on the ceiling and acting crazy with solid black eyes, we'd be recognizing them, pointing them out. But that really wouldn't be very subtle, now would it? That's why sometimes people are operating with demons and the church don't even know it. And let me tell you something, demons go to church. Think about the man with the withered hand who had the demon. He's sitting in the congregation. Jesus comes to preach, and the man jumps up shouting. And I'm just sitting there thinking, how many times has that man been to church? How many times was that man in that synagogue before Jesus came and preached? There's a lot of times that demons come to church, and they don't jump up because Jesus ain't allowed in the pulpit. It's true it's true. The second level of demonic oppression, this is in the soul realm, and this is when it gets real dicey. That's demonic oppression. See, notice this. Then a demon oppressed man. And that's why I grabbed the ESV version this morning is because it says demon oppressed. And I think that this is a better picture of what's going on with this man is the demon had got past the body. He had got past the infiltration. See, the body of the demon is trying to get a foothold. He's trying to get a foothold in your life. But then he can get in the soul realm, which is your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions, your imaginations, your desires. And there's another one. I can't think of it right now. But anyway, he tries to get into your soul. And if he can get into your soul, he can wreak all kinds of havoc. And that's when the demon, demon builds a stronghold in your life. If he gets in the spirit, he has a stranglehold. So it's a foothold, a stronghold, and then a stranglehold. That's infiltration, oppression, and then possession. And all of it's demonized. In the Greek, if you go through the Greek New Testament, almost every time that you see any demonic activity, it uses the same word, demonized. But there are levels of that. And I'm going to get to our my, our warning for our church. I'm going to get there. Because this doesn't just function on an individual level. Anything that you can see functioning on an individual level may just function on the local church level as well. So what does Jesus do to this demon? says he heals the man. doesn't say he casts the demon out. It says he heals the man. Now understand something very carefully. I'm not saying that Jesus left the demon. What I am saying is the demon hadn't really got in in. The demon was still trying to operate from the outside because that's what the demon has to do to a believer. Now, this man may or may not have been a believer. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about demons can get in the mind and the emotions of believers. They can. They can put you in depression. They could put you in anxiety. Now I'm not saying every time that there's depression or anxiety it has a demonic root. But what I am saying is they can do those things. They can operate in your soul, in your mind, and in your will, and in your emotions. And they can completely lay waste and decimate you. They can. And so Jesus heals the man. And guess what? The man could speak and he could see. And see, the church, let's put it over the church level, the church... Has been limited in their prophetic voice as of late, would anybody really argue with that i mean i 'm not talking about every single person, but i 'm just talking about in general the church 's prophetic voice isn 't what it was fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, four hundred years ago, five hundred years ago the church 's prophetic voice isn 't what it was. I mean, Martin Luther, John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley, um, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Finney, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. I mean, A.B. Simpson, Leonard Ravenhill, A.W. Tozer. I mean, you've got a lot of people that, generals of the faith, people that laid a foundation and that had a prophetic voice. William Booth, people that changed things, that did things. And now we just struggle to get people to come to church. Our prophetic voice has been stifled. Listen, is anybody like Star Wars? I love Star Wars. I am like a huge Star Wars nut. One of my favorite Star Wars movie is the worst one. I, well, out of the original six. The the I say the original six because you know I'm I'm a millennial but <laughs> and I know that people that are not millennials say there's the original three and then there's the the six that follow after I say the original six because the three that were made recently are kind of trash but the original six episode one the phantom menace is the worst one of the six and it's my favorite because it was the first Star Wars movie I ever saw but in this movie Yoda little green dude everybody knows Yoda because of baby Yoda right Yoda Yoda is having a conversation with Mace Windu, Samuel Jackson. And he says, I'm not going to go Yoda speak on you. But he says, (laughs) I thought about it. I thought about it. But the essence of what he says is this. He says, says the dark side has gotten really powerful if we couldn't see him coming. If they were able to do all that they've done, they have gotten really, really powerful. And I think demonic activity in our day, in the church at large, has gotten really, really prominent if we can't see what has been coming. I mean, David Wilkerson prophesied COVID was coming. Hit it on the money in the 80s. His words were, I see a virus coming, and this virus is going to shut down New York City. The bars will be closed. The city will be off-limit. People won't be allowed to come in or leave. That's a prophetic voice. And nobody told me Biden was coming. I'm just (laughs) Anyway, Anyway, moving right along, moving right along. But our prophetic voices has been stifled. Our prophetic vision has been stifled. And we really need some miraculous deliverance in the church at large to get that. Listen, I want to tell you guys a story. I want to tell you a couple of stories. Are we good? Are we good? I walked into a pastor's office one time to have a one-on-one conversation with a pastor. And I was sitting down and I was talking. And I said something to him about a particular preacher that he liked and something heretical that he had said. The heretical thing that the preacher had said was that he could show you the link between tithing and your justification. That's heresy. Tithing is required... Tithing is a mandate, it's a command of God, but you're justified by the grace of God alone. And I said it, I said it was heresy. And this pastor manifested a demon on me and came across his desk at me. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Lord of the Rings MMA. (laughs) In the Lord of the Rings, in the first one, there's a a scene where Bilbo goes at Frodo's ring. And his face changes and he leaps at him. And that's the only way I can describe what that pastor looked like when he came across the desk at me. Shook me to my core because this pastor was a friend. And I had never discerned it before. Faith Mama, Eileen, and Mike, and Faith, and I all walk into a church together. Sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? And Eileen's walking in front of us, and she stops, and she's looking up around the church. And I asked her, what afterwards, we were talking, and I asked her, and she said, when I looked up around the edge of the church, I seen all the way around the edge of it, there were demons sitting like gargoyles, watching us walk into this church. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Don't tell me demons don't come to church because they do. I can give you biblical examples where they come to church. Let me tell you, they come to church because they want what's in the church. That's you. And so the, guess what? There's not only one demon-oppressed man in this passage. There's one that gets healed, but there's a whole group of demon-oppressed people in this passage, and they're called the Pharisees. Because guess what? They, in their spirit of religion, their demon of religion, can you do me a favor? 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, put it up. I'm going to show you that religion is a demon. The spirit of religiosity is a demon. The spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Go to the next verse. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Go to the next verse. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. All right, you can turn it off. They're telling them religious practices. And Paul calls it doctrines of demons put forth by hypocritical liars. Hypocrites and actors. Somebody that cares about what's on the outside and not on the inside. Sounds like a whited sepulcher filled with dead men bone. Or a clean cup that's got poison on the inside. Or maybe a house that's a mess on the inside but got good curb appeal. Or maybe a pretty church that's filled with demons. And then you've got this whole group of Pharisees. And they start worrying that Jesus and the Spirit are going to detract from their image. That's what this is. Because religion cares about image and public perception. That's why they fast and paint their faces when they fast and make sure everybody knows it. That's why they sound the trumpets when they're going to give alms. That's why they pray on the street corners with their phylacteries and shout at the top of their lungs. Because they want to appear to be something that they're not. That's what an actor is. And that's what Paul says hypocritical liars whose conscience has been seared with a hot iron. That basically means that their heart has been hardened through sin. So there's a demon man, oppressed man that gets healed and delivered and then there's a group of demon oppressed people that start attacking Jesus because he did good. And they say it's only by the prince of demons that he can cast out demons. And Jesus is like... That's, that's cute. <laughs> if Satan, the adversary of God, is divided against Satan, the adversary of God, how is his kingdom going to be able to stand? Listen, some of you guys might get mad at me for saying this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. It's not directed towards this church. One thing I have never understood about the, the, the formative years of our country and our government is why in the world we set it up to be divided against itself. Why we set up Republicans and Democratic parties in conflict. I know they say to check and balance and to balance it out, but we set up a kingdom divided against itself. And Jesus tells me if a kingdom's divided against itself, it's going to fall. I've never understood why our government did that. Y'all can explain that to me later if you have a better perception on that. But to me, it's just a recipe for disaster because one side will inevitably become wicked and then play for control to eliminate the other side. Does that sound like what's happening now? He doesn't say it'll fall immediately. It may take 100 years, 200 years, 250 years, but it'll it'll happen. And that's what happened. That's what's happening. One side has become extremely wicked, vying for control and trying to eliminate the other side altogether. Kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That's not the warning. That's just an opinion. So, Jesus uses logic, kingdom divided against itself can't stand, to tear down their argument. (coughs) And he says, but wait a second. Don't you have people that perform exorcisms too? And do they have any success? They have some success. How do they cast them out? Because they're going to be your judges. See, what the Pharisees didn't realize when they waged this argument saying that he's only able to cast out demons by the prince of demons, what they were actually saying is... God isn't strong enough to cast out demons, so only demons can cast out demons. And they were detracting from the power of God working in Jesus. They didn't say, oh, he's just a prophet. He's not the son of David, the Messiah. He's just a prophet. If they'd have said that, then this argument and Jesus' response wouldn't have been valid because they would have just said he's operating with the power of God, but he's not the son of David. That would have been the legitimate response. But religion doesn't want that. Religion wants to tear down what the Spirit is trying to accomplish. Because religion is of the flesh and it's demonic. And when it sees the Spirit of God operating, it wants to destroy it. That's why every time somebody gets up and gets anointed, you see all these churches start attacking them. When I first became a Christian and I first started preaching, I started this thing called Unite. I got it from Ephesians 4. I just called it Unite. On a Saturday night, here was the goal, to bring college and high school age kids together to worship Jesus and to catch on fire and take that back to their churches. And I encouraged every Saturday night, don't make this your church. Go to your local church and set it on fire. That was what I said every Saturday night. And do you want to know that pastors had a meeting, set up a coup against me and asked me to be driven out of the community? And that hasn't happened to me just once. That happened to me in Mississippi over and over and over again because when people step up and start preaching and operating in the Spirit of God, religion bears its ugly teeth and comes at it with everything it's got. It does. And it doesn't have to be me. Start operating in the Spirit. Go outside of somebody's church. Start laying hands on people in Walmart and see how long it takes you for somebody to come against you. Friends of ours were baptizing people in their homes. Religion came against them and said, you're not doing right serious religion will come at you with everything it has if you start operating in the spirit because religion hates the operation of the spirit of god that's why in verse 28 jesus summarizes all this and he says but if i cast out demons by the spirit of the living god then the kingdom of god has come upon you and you think that the rest of this passage is is separated but it's actually just a continuation of this argument. And when he says, "If someone binds up and wants to plunder a house, they have to bind up the strong man." When I first read this, and I've read commentaries, a lot of people would say that what Jesus is saying is, "You know, I'm able to cast out demons because I've overcome Beelzebub or Satan, and therefore I can plunder all that's his." The only problem with that is, is that's not really what I think the passage is communicating. And I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But when I read this and I see everything that follows after of it, what I actually think is Jesus has now flipped the conversation about the spirit of religion and the Pharisees being against him. Follow with me. Just track with me. He says, whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever doesn't gather with me is going to scatter. And then he keeps going and he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. All sin and all slander will be forgiven, except for one thing. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you know, this word, when I became a Christian, this verse kind of terrified me a little bit. Because I thought, what I, what I thought it meant was, is if you ever said a single word against the Holy Spirit, you could never be forgiven for that. Is there anybody in here that believes that? It's not what it means. I had to find that out the hard way. Because the devil tried to get me to buy into that false narrative that now I was beyond the reach of forgiveness. What this actually means is he says every sin and slander will be forgiven. If you speak a word against the Son of Man or the Son of God, Jesus, it will be forgiven. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, it won't be. Notice the change in language. If you speak a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, it won't be. There's something missing from the second phrase, isn't there? A word. See, the Holy Spirit isn't greater than Jesus. They're co equal and co eternal. The Holy Spirit isn't greater than the Father. They're co equal and co eternal. So, why would it be that if you spoke a word against the Father, you'd be forgiven? If you spoke a word against the Son, you'd be forgiven. But if you spoke a word against the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be forgiven? That doesn't make sense logically. The word, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, I'm not real good with Greek, but I do know this. It's active, and it's aoris, it's present. And it's a continuation. It means if you put yourself in a position to continually speak against the operation of the Holy Spirit, you have put yourself beyond the reach of forgiveness. Because in order to attain forgiveness, you cannot be in opposition with the working of the Spirit. Jesus is warning the Pharisees, the ones that are operating under this demonic oppression, He is warning them, saying, look, you can say what you want against me. You can blaspheme me. Don't keep doing it, but you can blaspheme me. You can sin like that. Whatever sins you've committed, forgiveness is available for all of it. But if you put yourself in opposition against the operation of God, you are going to go beyond its reach. Your conscience is going to be seared with the hot iron. Your heart's going to be hardened through sin. You're going to be given over to a reprobate mind. The examples are plenteous throughout Scripture. You're going to be put beyond the reach of the Spirit, not because the Spirit doesn't want to forgive you, not because the Spirit doesn't want to move in your life, not because God doesn't want to issue pardon and deliverance and healing to you, but because you have put yourself at enmity against God. Now you won't allow the Spirit to operate in your life. And we always say God is a gentleman. He don't force himself on you. He don't force himself on you. You don't want him? Fine. Church, and not this church, it's church in general. Church, you don't want the Holy Spirit? Fine. Have your programs. You don't want God? Fine. Have your pastor. You don't want Jesus? Fine. Have your cute crosses. Mm. And he keeps going. He keeps going. The conversation isn't over then. He takes it back to a tree and it's... Fruit versus root. We've talked about this plenty. And all he's saying is this is revealing what's actually inside of you. What's on the inside will come out. Those dead men bones will eventually get on the outside. That poison in that cup will eventually get on the outside. That fire in the kitchen will eventually ruin the curb of people. What's on the inside will come out. He calls them brood of vipers. Brood of vipers. Because what's in them is that demonic spirit of religion attacking the working of the Spirit of God. And he says, you're revealing what kind of tree you are. You're revealing what's on the inside of you by your actions right now. Out of the evil treasures of your heart, you're speaking evil against the Son of Man, the Son of God. You're speaking evil against the operation of the Spirit. And you've set yourself at enmity because what's in you is now coming out. And then I love this. Are we still good? Y'all still tracking with me? We still good? Okay. They just gotta ch- I just gotta check because everybody gets quiet and sometimes I'm looking for like a herd of turtles. Anyway. Uh, but it says this then some of the scribes and Pharisees asked him, We need a sign. And this always baffles me because this is how stupid religion can be. The whole conversation began with a sign. Jesus healed a man that couldn't talk or see, blind and mute. The church today, we struggle with one or the other. Bring up somebody mute, pray for them, they still mute. Bring up somebody blind, we pray for them, they still blind. It's like, and Jesus just willy-nilly does both. That's a pretty cool sign. I mean, I feel like Bill Ingval. here's your sign. Like, you asked for it, there it is. And I I wish, I don't know why Jesus didn't say that when they say, we seek a sign for you. I don't know why he didn't say, hey, dum dumb, this is what started your attacking me in the first place. But he doesn't. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Wicked and adulterous. Wicked meaning perverted, coarse, confused, etc. Adulterous meaning you're cheating on the one you're espoused to. Because they're uh, religious, they're supposed to be married to God, but they're cheating on him with the demon. They're cheating on him with Mr. So Icky. You know what's so fitting about that? Have you guys ever just been around somebody and it feels like whatever's on them like crawls onto you? You know what I'm talking about? People that you leave and you're like, man, I just want to go take a shower. Like, (laughs) am I the only one? Like, I just, you get near somebody and you're like, I don't know what that was, but I don't want that no more. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, that's why Mr. So Icky, people that are religious without reality, that's what they feel like to me. They're Icky. They ask for a sign. He says, no sign's going to be given to you. And then he says, except for the sign of, of Jonah. And he talks about Jonah being in the belly of the great fish. I like the in New American Standard. It says the sea monster. That's cooler. But <laughs> the belly of a great fish. At least it doesn't say whale because it wasn't a whale. Come on. It wasn't a whale. Jonah and the whale. I'm so sick of hearing that. It wasn't a whale. Anyway, pet peeve. In the, he talks about that being in correlation with, you know, his being crucified, died, buried, quick and raised, seated, all that. And then he says this. He says the people of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching. Behold, someone greater than Jonah's here. And then he goes, the queen of the south. She marvelled at Solomon's wisdom. You know what religion totes the most? Preaching and wisdom. It does. Religion points and says, look at that guy. Look at how great of a preacher he is. Most of the time it doesn't say, look at that lady, because religion doesn't really like women preachers. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't, because it doesn't fit into the formula. <laughs> anyway. Want womp, <want>, womp. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> Dang it, faith. <laughs> religion touts wisdom and preaching. Most of the time, I don't care what you live your life like as long as you preach a good message. That's personal. That's private. That's why you still got so many people, like when a preacher goes heretical, they still have this huge following. Or when people fall from grace and they do these horrid things. I'm not saying that there's not forgiveness and stuff, but I'm just saying, like, how do you still maintain the platform? That's why I'm going to back up. That's, that's why people are still exalted because they take these people and they exalt them as these idols because they can preach or because they can decide, uh, you know divide the word pretty well. And then they get to a point where as long as they're smart, they can put the word aside as long as they can communicate effectively. You don't believe me, just watch some preaching online. Count the amount of times they say the name of Jesus or how many times they reference the Bible. Actually, reference the Bible. Make you turn to it, preach from it. I heard one preacher say, he was asked this question. He was asked, If you were going to preach a 10 week series, how long would it take you to get to the Bible? Ask me that question. I don't know. How long does it take me to walk to the pulpit? Like, because I ain't going to start until I open this Bible. And he said, Well, I might get to the Bible in week three or four. It's like, Then what are you doing for the first three weeks? vacation, somebody else preaching it so you ain't opening your Bible they call it identifying the felt needs I'm serious, this is real they call it identifying the felt needs identifying the felt needs of the congregation and then figuring out a way to find out what they need and then finding a scripture that they can kind of paste on that that's why preaching is so watered down and weak because let me tell you something. I can't stare at you and find your felt needs. But I can't open my Bible and let it tell me. Because you can't lie to me through the Bible. <laughs> now people can stand up here and twist the Bible make it say whatever they want. But if I'm open to my Bible and I'm being honest about it, it's going to tell me what's wrong with you. It's going to tell me what's wrong with me first. And that's going to be frustrating and painful. But it will tell us what's wrong with one another. It will tell us our felt needs. And then it will address those felt needs. But see, religion don't care about that. Preaching, wisdom. And Jesus says, one greater than Jonah's preaching is here. Jonah preached one time and an entire city repented. That's preaching. And basically he said, repent or you're going to die and go to hell. <laughs> and the Queen of South went to Solomon. And Solomon wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. said that he was the wisest one ever. God said, there's not going to be one wiser born among women than Solomon. Good thing Jesus is God because he was greater than Solomon. But you see the point. Religion touts what can entertain it. The exterior. And Jesus is saying, that's what you want, but it's already greater than that. And you can't see it because your religion blocks it. Now I'm going to get to the the warning. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. It's gone out of them. It passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will also be with this evil generation. The strong man that Jesus used, I am convinced... That Jesus, what he was actually saying wasn't just about him binding Satan and being able to do whatever he wanted. Although that's true because he has all authority in heaven and earth and Satan doesn't have any power against Jesus because everything Satan does is allotted and he does by permission and allowance but for a short time. No, that's not what Jesus was saying with the strong man, in my opinion. What Jesus was saying is that if you let this demonic activity infiltrate and oppress you, then what's going to happen is eventually you are going to slowly, slowly, slowly. I'm going to do this like this. You're going to slowly, slowly, slowly. Please forgive me, $300 Bible. Please forgive me, $300 Bible. That's what you're going to do. You're going to bind the strong man, which is Jesus, in your own life. You're going to slowly push that Bible further and further and further until it falls from view. The Spirit of God's not going to be active anymore, and you're going to be bound up, and then the Spirit that led you into that place can go in and plunder anything He wants. And Jesus uses this to cap, cap exclamation point, to emphasize or pronounce. All of this, he says, look, he says, God comes into your life and cleans you up. You get delivered. You get set free. You get religion in a good sense. Because pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit the followers and the widows in their affliction and keep Himself unspotted for the world. There is a religion that is good. Religiosity, Mr. Stoician or Mr. Stoickey, is not good. That's demonic. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy 4. That right there, it leads you into good religion. And if you're not careful, if you're not vigilant, if you're not watchful, that demon comes back. When Faith and I first moved to Mississippi to plant a church, we sold everything. We sold our house on Dayton Mountain. And since we've moved back, when I go visit family everything, we drive past it. We drive past it because we want to see the condition of the house, right? We see how good they're treating it. In this particular case, we see how bad they're treating it, how it's deteriorating, and it makes us sad every time. But we drive by to see the condition of the house. And see, what we don't realize is those demons that were in me before Christ saved me and delivered me and set me free, every once in a while they come cruising by. They get in their cool convertible, let the top down, driving with wind in their hair, and they come cruising by their old house. They look and say, ah, somebody's still dwelling there. But sometimes, because of what we do, they see a for sale sign in the yard. And they're like, hmm, I could afford that. But last time, it got foreclosed on. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get seven of my buddies that are worse than me, that got more potency than I do, that are more than I do. And I'm going to bring them, and we're going to buy this house together. And the last state is worse than the first. Here's the warning for you as an individual and for us as a church. As an individual, you are not above the temptation of the spirit of religion. And living in Cleveland, you are right next to being in its stranglehold. If you're not vigilant, you will fall in. That's just putting things the way that they are. That's not me trying to preach doom, gloom, and despair. That's just saying religion is always trying to get on you. Satan will use whatever means he can. Those demons will use whatever means they can to keep you from ever doing anything by the power of God. But, but, there's always a but. While you are right next, and while you live in an area that's overrun with the spirit of religion, it can't touch where the Spirit of God is. It runs from the Spirit of God. As an individual, you've got to be watchful. Because when you become a Christian, when you get baptized, you live your life, your house is clean, swept, and in order. But if you don't keep the Spirit of God there, and you let this go by the wayside and you let prayer go by the wayside and you let all the spiritual disciplines we talked about last week go by the wayside and your christianity comes becomes you going to church you may just be in a put yourself in a position where when that demon comes cruising by he sees a for sale sign in your yard And as a church, we have the same responsibility as a local church. God does some work here. And I'm not saying that when I got here, there were demons in the church. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is whether there's never been one in this house at, at all, or whether there's been a legion of them in here, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The same story is the case. If we ever... Stop pressing for the Spirit of God. If we ever let this word fall by the wayside, if we ever stop praying, if we ever stop fasting, if we ever stop pursuing after God's will for this house, make no mistake, Mr. So Icky will drive by and he has a whole fleet that he's waiting and ready to send here. And now he's on double watch duty because. He's heard the same prophecies that you've heard. He knows about the visions and the dreams. He knows about the promises of God. He knows about the inheritance of the saints. He knows about the spiritual wells. He knows about the fire of God falling on this place. He knows about the words Branham said. He knows about all of those things. And if he can stop it and pin those wells down with the spirit of religiosity, he will If He can get us content with having church and playing games, He will. If He can get us to slack off, He will. It says the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If He can get us to fight amongst ourselves, if He can get us concerned with decor and about paint color on the walls. Listen, I watched a church close because of paint color that they picked. If he can get you concerned about carpet, If he can get you concerned about the temperature, if he can get you concerned about the style of music, if he can get you concerned about what verse was preached from or what translation, if he can get you concerned about all of these nonsensical things that really don't amount to a spiritual hill of beans, he will, and we will be so occupied opposing ourselves because that's the flow of the passage. The devil walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you follow the context, it talks about those that are opposing themselves. Those that don't cast all their care on the Lord that cares for them. That's the flow of the passage. You don't cast those cares on God and you let them generate anxiety and now enmity between one another because you can't get over your preferences. Because I can't get over my preferences. We'll never have a revival. Revival don't come until religion is broken. Amen.